0: 19% of New Yorkers, all New Yorkers, own crypto. Steve Mnuchin hated Bitcoin, and so Trump's official view on Bitcoin was very negative. You know, the federal bank regulators saying, all right, we made a mistake, let's get to the table and start figuring out how to fix this. Because the son of the Speaker of the House and the niece of the president of the Senate were both telling their relatives, you got to fix this. It's, you know, it's the solution's not there yet. You're not actually seeing, man, if we could just get the women in a room and hash it out.
1: While few people are talking about Operation Choke Point 2.0 anymore, it is still very real. And we're starting to get insight as to where it's coming from. I talked to Caitlin Long today and she said that she has clear evidence that this is a directive coming down directly from the White House, particularly from Elizabeth Warren Plants in the White House and the anti-crypto army. What you hear here is going to absolutely blow your mind. The White House tried to kill crypto, they tried to send Bitcoin to zero, and they failed. The best part of this conversation is how we look forward to the very bright future for the industry in the United States. I think this is the perfect opportunity for just to get an update on Operation Chokepoint 2.0. It was all the talk six months ago, right? And then we had obviously Silicon Valley and and everything that happened around the banks. Now it's gone quiet again, but I have a feeling that doesn't mean it's gone away.
0: It definitely hasn't gone away, um, but the initial shakeout definitely occurred. And of course, Custodia got caught up in that. Uh, we were the, the tip of the spear in what, in retrospect, was a very clear, all of government coordinated crackdown across all the federal agencies on the entire crypto industry. Some of it, actually, I would say much of it deserved, but not all of it, of course. Um, and I, I do call out that some of the players who were the best in the sense that that we literally begged to become federally regulated were treated the harshest. By the federal regulators and i would put custodia in that camp uh, vis-a-vis the fed um and then of course coinbase with the sec for example uh and what's interesting is i honestly you know we know a lot there's a lot i haven't shared um, about what actually happened uh behind the scenes and we do have receipts so to speak we have email uh and it is uh and we also had insiders come forward and tell us what happened this was a white house driven event And um, all the federal agencies fell into line uh, on a Biden White House coordinated um, all of government crackdown on this industry. Uh, But what I think they thought was that they were going to kill it and they killed parts of it. And frankly, those parts and some more needed to be flushed. But um, the what they what they didn't succeed in doing and they were never going to succeed. And I think it's hilarious that they thought they were going to succeed was in making Bitcoin go to zero. <laughs> um, I know a lot of them think it's a zero. Uh, so the fact that it has been as resilient as it has um, just proves to them that uh, that they were wrong. And we saw the first ice melting. The Fed uh, just recently announced a novel activities supervision program. Well, if you read <laughs> what they said about custodia in On January 27th, it was hell no, 18 ways from Sunday, the door slammed shut on everybody except the big banks, which they had already approved, um, Bank of New York Mellon. Um, But uh, now they have a novel activity supervision program. And I saluted them for acknowledging they need help. They did. They do. Uh, And they said they would be going out to the technology industry, to banking, to fintechs, and to academics to get help. And they need it. Uh, this isn't going away and it's crystal clear. They don't have the understanding that they need in order to, to deal with the risks. Uh, and I think for folks like me who are there in, you know, I've talked about this before warning about the bank run risk in the bank run serving this industry last year. Uh, and, and I think that they thought I was speaking Greek. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And they must've, I mean, I think they thought I was speaking Greek and maybe they now understand, um, that they they actually do need the, the help of people who know what they're doing and know how to separate the wheat from the chaff in this industry.
1: Why do you think that they're doing that at this point? Do you think, I have this sort of outside impression, not necessarily on the banking side, but that the SEC, White House, the Elizabeth Warren camp, that they push the pendulum too far in one direction and they're getting a lot of pushback, right? We've seen it obviously in Congress, but I think also just with the constituency, citizens saying, "Look, you push too hard. We care about this." They really yeah. actually galvanized the industry, even behind companies that people didn't support, like Ripple, like
0: right? Ripple, uh, right. Yeah. And
1: um, so, it, it's my gut feeling is that they just pushed too hard and they're getting pushback, and now they can't push as hard as they wanted to again. But do you think it's that? Because it doesn't seem like the Fed, who said literally never to you, effectively in January, it's surprising that now. Only seven or eight months later, you're sort of seeing uh, at least the window cracked for you guys, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, not necessarily for us, right? right. I mean, again, they like the incumbents. Look at what they did to the startup. <laughs> uh, you know, this is definitely a theme um, that, that there is a soft corruption in the entire financial system that is a very strong incumbency bias. Uh, and of course, by definition, nobody who's in digital assets is an incumbent because the incumbents, um, you know, that wasn't where the innovation bubbled up, and so they they really aren't ill equipped to deal with it. And so I'm glad they're acknowledging that uh, that they need the outside help, and they have this program now. Um, so I, you know, but but it, it, I, the other thing that happened, Scott, is it got kicked into the courts. So I don't necessarily know that um, the galvanization of the industry to their congressional representatives mattered that much. I haven't seen a lot of people flip from being anti to pro those who were pro before ftx are still generally pro and those who are yeah well certainly those that had to give a lot of campaign donations back yeah but 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 certainly those that were anti right um i don't think the the elizabeth warren anti-crypto army uh, other than the then than than the white house and again we do know a lot about the connections i i never heard of the person at the white house who did all this um, and it all happened over the Christmas break um, and, you know, kind of got started in January. And um, and, you know, it, it's again like the, it, it's just crazy what happened to us when it all comes out. The political decision that got made um, and the coordination but, but the, that the that multiple supposedly independent federal banking agencies told applicants to withdraw their applications at the same time. And these applications were supposed to be standing on their own. And with the leaks we were dealing with that the Fed would be voting us down two days before the vote even happened and we know from from the conversations including some some of it in email that the white house was involved so i mean it's just it, that, that's as much as i can say there is more um but i mean it it's just crystal clear that this was coordinated but it, the reason i bring all that up is that there were warren people who did it warren people in the white house who did it um and again i've never i, I had never heard of the name of the person who did it uh but you look at the background and elizabeth warren connection okay so like i've heard this
1: so many times from so many people not this specific story but even from other staffers and people on capitol hill who say listen we represent or we work with democrats who are very pro crypto we can't say anything we're afraid of elizabeth warren she is the most powerful democrat in finance period she's pulling all the strings she put in gensler she has her fingers in the white house and listen, that's politics. I'm not even begrudging that. It's just unfortunate that the singular face of the anti-crypto army is the one who happens to have the most control.
0: Oh, definitely has the most control. Her acolytes. I mean, when I when I explained there were folks in Congress who wanted to hear the whole story and I did share the whole story with them. And when I explained it, it it was it's like you said, everyone knew exactly who this was. And um, and what I have been told, I can't I can't confirm it, is that Biden didn't care about financial services policy. And so he outsourced it to her. And she's had a veto over all of the the people who have been appointed to financial services regulation. She's on the Senate Banking Committee. uh, Right. So she's she she is basically, you know, look. For whatever you think, I don't want to get political here, but President Biden is not um, working eighteen hours a day. Okay, and, oh. uh, and, and he's not and, the one and,
1: who's tweeting about crypto, right? I mean, but, let's be but real. He,
0: but that's <laughs> the point, right? I mean, like, who's really in charge? Okay, in financial services, what I've been told—I can't prove. Prove it. Is that it's her? Okay, so it's so Damn. screwed up. What's going on right now? And but but back to your point. Like, does that really matter? Okay, um, because. We're heading into the presidential election, and I think it's going to be the craziest election maybe in U.S. history. Okay, we've got one leading candidate who's been indicted multiple times, and another one who's there's a real corruption scandal, and is a humanitarian candidate. Like, I I, think this is and literally, I
1: mean, and literally, (laughs) like, needs to be in a retirement home. You know, I mean, he's just too—he's just too old for the job. Even outside of any of that activity, the guy's obviously not fit for the job, and Trump may not be either by that point. And then you get deep fakes, and then you get all this other stuff.
0: But then, but, then, but like literally, we we know he's not in the weeds on all these decisions, so we kind of get a chance to peer behind the 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 curtain and figure out who's making these decisions. Right, and 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 one thing I'll, I'll actually fill in a, a piece of the puzzle because I certainly didn't know about any of this, but but um, one of the insiders who came forward told me that what happened happened around Christmas, New Year's period, and that there was a power vacuum in the White House. If you had a strong president, what I'm about to tell you wouldn't have occurred. But the power vacuum in the White House was in the transition from Ron Klain to Jeff Zients as. Um, chief of staff of the White House, and from Brian Deese to his successor, who turned out to be Lale Brainerd, but wasn't named a successor until after all this got done. Remember, she was a Fed governor and she voted on the custodia application because she was still a Fed governor. Okay, that's all part of this whole politicization of the custodia decision. But it was the power vacuum of there being no White House chief of staff and there being, a you know, a lame duck um, head of the National Economic Council who was leaving, into that power vacuum filled the this group of anti crypto people who made their move, and um, and it's been massive. And but you know, <laughs> back to your point, right now it's all in the courts. What has happened since then is that the federal agencies have had this collective freakout over crypto, and now they find themselves in what I've termed bet the farm litigation that that was prompted by crypto which i find hilarious they literally have lost their minds And they're in bet-the-farm litigation. That is the type of litigation that could clip their wings meaningfully. And they keep losing
1: the SEC specifically, but yeah.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, the SEC is in a couple of those those cases, right? I don't think they thought they were going to lose the Ripple case because if Ripple wasn't a securities, an unregistered securities offering- Their
1: Coinbase, yeah, the Coinbase claim now has no water. Like whether we agree with it or not, what's a security, doesn't matter- if their entire premise of their case against coinbase is all of these unregistered securities and that doesn't hold water for ripple it's over for them against coinbase at least on that that claim
0: but that's the point like historically federal agencies have always liked to keep a gray area in the outer bounds of their jurisdiction because they don't want they don't like to litigate it they don't want federal judges making decisions about this okay and you just talked about the sec i'm not going to talk about it vis-a-vis the fed um, because we're the plaintiff in that one of three plaintiffs now, there are multiple lawsuits on the same statutory issue. Um, two of which are not crypto uh, against the Fed. But here's here's the interesting thing. I, I just saw in the Market Watch article that came out about Fed master accounts this week, which was talking about a non crypto um, fintech company that that got a bank charter and is having the same problem with the Fed that we did. They too sued. Um, and there was a really interesting article in that that was referenced that I hadn't read yet, and it talked about how the bank regulation in the United States is corporatist and that's correct it is this is part of the reason why you see that soft corruption of the system the system itself is corporatist it evolved to be that way it got captured if you if you will but here's the here's the interesting thing he pointed out the well let me let me ask you take a wild guess how many times was the federal reserve sued in the decade between 2010 and 2020
1: I literally have no idea. I wouldn't even be able to venture a guess, but I would guess they're getting sued a lot more now than they were then although that was That's a pretty the, dark, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: well, no, here's the thing the because these federal agencies were set up to be so independent that they're independent of even oversight by the judicial branch except in certain areas okay And so what happened is this 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 paper written by Professor David Zaring of Wharton when I started reading, I'm like, you know I knew that basically it's impossible to sue the Fed. They are the way that the Fed got set up by Congress, monetary policy decisions just not subject to judicial review. The only oversight that they have is the Humphrey Hawkins testimony and just congressional, uh, you know, Senate confirmation of Fed governors. And that's it. It's very, very light. Okay. So the Fed is used to not having its decisions reviewed on monetary policy, but outside of monetary policy in that entire decade, only two banks sued the Fed. That's it. Two lawsuits in the entire decade, one of which was over the constitutionality of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, CFPB. So it doesn't really count. So there's really one lawsuit in the entire decade. Now they're facing three and more are on the way. So this is what's happening, right? That It's a very interesting um, dynamic where these federal banking agencies have had this collective crypto freakout. And It's causing them to to end up in, and and now I'm switching back to talking about the SEC, to to end up in this litigation that may clip their wings in terms of the powers that they thought they had because it's never been tested by the court system before because they're, they're just not sued very often.
1: Yeah, so much to unpack. That exactly aligns with my feeling that they pushed too hard, right? They just sued everybody and now they have to actually come up with the resources and they've already had their wings clipped, to your point, by Ripple. But I want to talk about the White House because it's interesting. We have this one sort of sentiment that the White House wanted to send Bitcoin to zero, crush the, yeah. crush the industry. But on the flip side, you have Wall Street wholesale trying to get into the industry. <laughs> and those two things are yeah. very much in conflict. And then you throw Elizabeth Warren in the middle, who obviously hates Wall Street, wants to regulate every billionaire well, and every couple. Well, maybe not. She's taking a lot of money. She hates oh, excuse Wall me. Wall Street. She, she hates the ones hates who aren't paying her on Wall Street. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <But> she, <laughs> yeah. she is uh, manipulating Wall Street in the interests of her donors or whatever the actual narrative is. But that's a very strange interplay because you have her uh, yes, kind of on both sides. But you have Black BlackRock might as well be the fourth agency, right? <laughs> fourth branch of the government. But then you have them trying to send it to zero from the White House or from Elizabeth Warren. How does that all work? And it seems like Wall Street's actually winning that battle.
0: Yeah, it's such an interesting dynamic because you're pointing out the strange bedfellows, right? The, the alignment on Bitcoin is that the people who hate it are, are the corporatists in the, in the Democratic Party, of which I would actually include Elizabeth Warren as one. Okay, I know a lot of people are surprised to hear that. but But look at what she's actually done, not what she's actually said. Um, And then the like the neocons of the of the Republican Party. Right. The folks who think we're all terrorists until until we prove ourselves otherwise. Um, But it's the more ACLU old school wing of the Democratic Party and the more libertarian wing of the Republican Party who've joined forces to support this. So it is a strange bedfellows dynamic Um, and. Uh, you know, I think that struggle, by the way, we saw that in the Trump presidency, Steve Mnuchin hated Bitcoin. And so Trump's official view on Bitcoin was very negative, but now it comes out, Trump owns some ETH um, and he's been in, you know, involved in the NFT game. Um, So long story short, I I think it just, it's strange bedfellows. You can't draw the normal um, uh, distinctions. And so you have the aisle crossers or you have people like um, Cynthia Lummis from Wyoming and Kirsten Gillibrand from New York. Who, by the way, I've been in an in, in a at a event with the two of them. They really like each other. I know. They really respect each other. I've interviewed. So I interviewed both
1: within like two weeks of the first bill announcement last year. Not the not the new update. They love each other.
0: Yeah, and they respect each other
1: the, deeply. Right. Correct. So, yeah.
0: Uh, Two brilliant women. By the way, I think Elizabeth Warren is brilliant as well. I've never met her. She was my my law school roommate's favorite law law school professor. And and she is truly renowned for the work that she did in bankruptcy law at the time. Um, So you know, it's so interesting because I feel like, man, if we could just get the women in a room and hash it out, um, (laughs) that some of this stuff might might actually go away. But it's going to be fascinating to see if Warren backs off it because There was a very interesting. I think it was a Coinbase um, survey. Nineteen percent of New Yorkers, all New Yorkers, own crypto. Nineteen percent. That is not a small voting block. Okay, that doesn't mean that that's going to be the issue they vote on, but it it's a big enough issue that it starts to bubble up to the political consultants who have to say, "Look, we don't necessarily want to lose the millennials and Zoomers who really like crypto." ahead of this presidential election, which is going to be just crazy, regardless of, of of how it happens.
1: Yeah. So then you have to then be curious as to why Elizabeth Warren would be heading this anti-crypto army. We, we can see even anecdotally, they're not adding more colonels in that army, right? I mean, it's right. a few people. It's the people who started it. There's no one new. But on the other side, you see plenty of people on both sides of the aisle, to your point, who are coming out Anti, anti crypto, army, Right. I mean, you saw the uh, market structure bill passing, bipartisan. Richie Torres,
0: Richie Torres, so interesting. Democrat,
1: and I mean, so interesting. The the, the younger generation is obviously passionate about this, or at least they understand why people would be. So, how can this be politically possible for Warren and Biden and all of them? Or do they just not care? Or is there something more sinister, and it's a different interest that they're representing?
0: Oh boy, I don't know. That's a deep question. Yeah. And, you know, I, I pride myself in not being in Washington. You know, <laughs> um, I did my internships there as a kid. I was a white house intern in 1990, 1990, no 92. No, sorry. It was, it was when I was, uh, when I was in graduate school. Yeah. I mean, I did a couple of internships, at, um, in the office of management and budget 88 and 89. So it was Reagan and Bush. And then 1992, I went back and did a white house internship. So, um, um, long story short, it was, uh, it was, Ninety-two, ninety-one. I, obviously, I'm my my years are are. Uh, it was it was under Bush. It, it was in the Bush White House. I worked for uh, a Harvard professor who always hired one student from Harvard from the Kennedy School. His name was Roger Porter. He's still a professor there. Uh, so it was still during the Bush um, th- during the Bush White House. But anyway, long story short, um, I, I I'm Washington is something is a place that I don't like being. I don't like it when I'm there. Don't like staying there and it's really funny because my my significant other and I when he, we were there together a, a little while ago he he said I have this premonition that we're coming back here and we're going to be spending oh, no. some time here. And well, we said, need
1: said, you. No, we do need you no, there.
0: No, no, no. Well, it's actually really funny, Scott, because um, I am spending time with a couple of presidential campaigns on both sides of the aisle. You could probably guess um, because they're pro-Bitcoin. And I have had a policy of leaving my own personal politics out of it, which uh, I, I just don't spend a lot of time talking about and focusing on the the pro-Bitcoin politicians and, and, and working with them regardless of which side of the aisle they're on and where they are and um and you know there's some really interesting policy work being done uh, and will any will either of these candidates break through? I have no idea. Um, but they're both very interested in fixing what we know is very broken, which is the, the the incentive structure in the current traditional financial system. They both clearly understand that Bitcoin is a piece of that. That it is about speech and freedom. And uh, and 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 in both of them are very interested in Fed reform. And we've had a fair amount of discussion about Fed reform as well.
1: OK, so let's talk about the election then, because I think it's an exact reflection of what we were just talking about, which is you have the gerontocracy, you have Biden and Trump. We don't know Trump's actual position, but they're outright against Bitcoin, at least vocally against Bitcoin. Now, RFK isn't young. But he's right. younger, right? I've hosted him. I'm assuming that's one of the people you're talking about. He's on the Democrat not gonna side. Not going to comment. Right. Not going to comment. I'm and not endorsing have, anyone. No. No. Yeah. Of course, I'm saying potentially talking to them. I know a ton of Bitcoiners are very publicly Brian Estes and Perry Ann and you know um, David Bailey. Everybody's working with with RFK. But then you have as you get younger, right, and into mm-hmm. the Republican Party, we have Suarez, who I've interviewed both yes. within a week of each other. We have Vivek yep. Ramaswamy, mm-hmm. right, and so I think that he. I think at first, my impression for him was that it was a political talking point, and now he's falling down the rabbit hole. That's kind of how I feel about it. And then then DeSantis, I think, is somewhere in the middle, and I think it's solely a political talking point for him, right? Just score some marketing points. I don't know if that's your appraisal of each of them, because that's what I'm seeing from the outside. But um, it is interesting that the old candidates hate it. And the young candidates are all coming out for it, whether they believe or not.
0: There is definitely an age, um, an age breakdown. And we saw that, by the way, in Wyoming and all the stuff that got done back to, in 2018. The Wyoming the fix of the money transmitter law that got the whole Wyoming ball rolling was done because the son of the Speaker of the House and the niece of the President of the Senate were both telling their relatives, you got to fix this. Bitcoin's a thing, right? And it was the younger generation that was having an influence. And the, I, I, those two people are very effective people, uh, and 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 so you know when they were talking to their dad slash uncle about um, Bitcoin, they they were being listened to by by their by the elders, and then the elders kind of said, "All right, um, there's something here." And and when the young folks were the ones who showed up to the meet and greet, there were legislators who were telling me, "I've never seen anything like this before. Usually, it's the same old crowd." And um, and, and it's this is definitely skewing very diverse. It was definitely skewing young. But by the way, I've said this before, there was a Latina grandmother whose granddaughter drove her to the event and she was mining Bitcoin in her garage. Okay, so it was a real, true mix of people. But the point is, it was not the usual crowd and um and there were 16 year olds who drove down from a, t- a small town called Newcastle in Wyoming to be there for that too. So that shows you just the diversity of of who showed up. But the other thing that was interesting, at least for Wyoming is that the one of the other politicians said, I've never seen people driving up from Denver. Usually it's Wyomingites going to the city. And something's different here, right? So, you know, that that the that, that that Zeitgeist, if you will, I'm sure politicians are seeing it. Now, the horrific crimes and fraud that got perpetrated by this industry definitely left a sour note in everyone's mouth, and, mine included.
1: And you can't blame anyone for over for that, in government as well. I mean, all the way, yeah, yes, can. but I'm saying, I'm saying slightly. I, I, I think that there's a natural knee-jerk reaction to that for people who don't understand. Listen, I'm as critical of them as any, but- Pretty tough situation.
0: I mean, this is why the folks in charge tried this, let's kill it all, and try to send Bitcoin to zero.
1: That's a massive overcorrection. That I'm just talking about, I can see why they would have said, maybe for six months I'm not going to talk about this. I'm going to feel it out for well, that's that's different. That's different than taking
0: affirmative steps behind the scenes and you know, pulling out the the examples of say custodia and coinbase. To shoot yes. the stallion to scatter the herd—that was their strategy. Let's go after the the people who were the most compliant, the ones who were literally begging to become regulated, the ones who did everything up the straight and narrow, and 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 let's let's make an example of them. Um, but it didn't work. So oh. you know, here we are. I, I just—it's going to be crazy because remember also. I thought about this last night, reading Pantera's um, um, monthly newsletter, which I always look forward to reading. And the, of course, they're starting to talk about the having. And if you look at their model, it shows Bitcoin crossing 100,000 around about the time of the US presidential election in, 19, in, in 2024. Okay. Right. And I made the joke, I guess my laser eyes will have to come off right about the same time as the presidential election. Satoshi did this on purpose, folks. Satoshi aligned Bitcoin havenings and bull markets to the US presidential cycle. It's, I
1: mean, yeah, it makes sense. It's six months before every single time. And anybody who's watched any halving cycle knows that it takes about six months for that supply uh, reduction yep. to really start yep. to play into the market. Yep. That's interesting. Yep. I literally never never thought about that. Oh, and yeah. 100,000 wouldn't even be aggressive for that point in no. the halving cycle, no. right? I mean, you no. could be at 120, 150 easily.
0: Yeah, their 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 price target I think is 134 is where it peaks out in in the next cycle in early 2025. Um, but you know, we'll see if these models hold true. I think they will, because for very fundamental reasons, the having has a huge impact and, you know, we're going to have this debate. It's starting to happen now about the efficient markets theory. Well, wait a minute. Everyone knows like, this is one of the most well-telegraphed fundamental events in finance is that Bitcoin is going to go through a having. And, um, and then what happens if you, you, if you really understand the mechanics, the miners shut off. The the machines that right now are wildly profitable but stop being profitable the moment the having occurs. Okay, so that isn't something anyone trades ahead of. Maybe because there's a better well, uh, uh, there, there's a more developed futures market now than there was in the last having. Maybe the miners have hedged it, but I kind of doubt it because the miners have been have gone through an incredible shakeout, as you know. Some of them filed. I don't for think they have the capital here.
1: to hedge it out. I don't think they have that's, the capital exactly. to hedge it out because they, they spent collateral. so much at the top of the last bull market by equipment that's I now agree. down ninety percent. Not this only are their assets point. of their Bitcoin down ninety percent. Or went down eighty percent, but the value of the equipment they bought at the top of the market that they have to put online, right? Correct,
0: correct. And the hash rate keeps keeps you know just keeps growing. We're pretty close to the all time high in the hash rate, which is a which is definitely a a deviation from previous cycles. But what that's going to say is, I think in some ways, the halving may have an even bigger impact because all those machines that they were so desperate to plug in in the last six months. Some of those are outdated and they will get shut off, okay? And so it's not like it's easy, except out of the futures hedging, it's not like it's easy to trade around this. And just like last time, when everyone's like, oh my gosh, efficient markets, everybody knows this is coming, it's priced in, my, my gut tells me we're going to have a repeat. It wasn't priced in until afterwards, and you need the shakeout to occur of all those miners turning machines off, some consolidation in the mining. You're going to have some people having to sell Bitcoin as forced sellers in that post-having Dynamic, which has happened every single time, and then it gets roaring, and that's, that's when, it, and it's right before yeah. the presidential election. So, and I was yeah. going to say
1: we're three for three on those cycles repeating. Like that's not a huge uh, data, but uh, a huge pool of data. But three for three, and the the, the reason I giggled is because inevitably the having will come, and people don't understand it. Will say it was a sell the news event. The you'll yeah. see the miners selling because they have to. Price will go down a bit, and they'll say, "See, it was wrong." And that's literally part and of the, the cycle. And then the J curve like, hits. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. not like the supply uh, glut. Uh, the, the supply reduction <laughs> comes into play the minute the having happens, and people just Correct. think it's. Bitcoin's supposed to go to a hundred thousand the day of the having.
0: (laughs) Correct. Correct. That's absolutely correct. And so and then everybody's going to be piling in. So I know we've ended up talking a lot about politics here. And it's and it's fine. Again, I am not taking sides. I am pro-Bitcoin. I am I am helping people who are pro-Bitcoin to help. And, And from all sides of the aisles, I always have. And from at national and state level, I tend not to do local. Type stuff, but I have gotten involved with, you know, when people reach out for help, uh, you know, I think it's part of one of the things that 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 we can do to help get more support is talk to the politicians who are in a position of power who can who are in a position to help, and um, so it's what I do, and and you know we're getting we're getting now. a realization that Bitcoin is going to be in probably another roaring bull market right into the presidential election. I wonder if the uh, anti-crypto army understands that dynamic and what that's going to do to the millennials and the Zoomers.
1: (laughs) And it could be, I mean, listen, it'll be devastating because even the uh, few boomers who held on will be really excited about Bitcoin by that point, and they might even start paying attention to candidates who speak outwardly against it. So to your point, it's going to be extremely interesting.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Indeed, and by then, you know, I mean, again, I I actually am skeptical that there's going to be much on the uh, coming out of Congress or much change at all in the executive branch. Uh, I don't think the SEC is going to approve the Bitcoin ETFs, um, the spot ETFs. I think they're they're fine with with the cash settled futures. So now all eyes are on the ETH cash settled futures. Um, ETFs, that's coming, I think, because you know they they they're they don't have the grounds to reject
1: s- it. It's the same. exactly the there's not a mind. market
0: yeah. manipulation issue um, as there is in in the spot ETFs. And let's face it, they're not wrong. I've been very balanced in what I've said about the SEC. Sometimes I've been very critical, and sometimes in the face of you know a lot of crypto Twitter being critical of the SEC, I'm the one saying, hey, they called this one right. There is this isn't black and white. There is a lot of crap. In this industry, I it was debating with with one of the early early Bitcoiners: Is it ninety percent of the industry, or ninety nine percent of the industry that is crap, assessment. right? And, and you know, a lot of it has been flushed out, but not all of it yet. And I don't know how how much more we have to go, but there are still some highly leveraged business models. I mean, we just saw Prime Trust fail, you know, six weeks ago, right? Um, Fail. They're still
1: fail fraud.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, we'll see. Right. They're in Chapter 11 now. Right. And they're they're going to be knock on effects of that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's bad. And and, uh, honestly, I I, I guess I can knock on wood and say I'm actually surprised that that hasn't been a bigger talking point for regulators and legislators since they were a registered Regulated trusted yeah. custodian, like mm. a custodian failing or committing potential fraud, seems like it would be a bigger deal than a lot of the other collapses, it, but it didn't touch retail it, in the same way.
0: It didn't touch retail. And um, to be honest, it is a big deal. It is a big deal. Huge deal behind the scenes because it's going to chill the state regulators on this. Now, um, uh, switching gears a little bit, we just saw states. The states have pushed back, right? The states have been the ones creating uh, a welcoming and enabling regulatory regime. Uh, the two states that, that I'm alluding to are New York and Wyoming. Again, Gillibrand and Lomas working together. This is no accident. Um, and and we saw the, the PayPal stablecoin announcement go forward. That was with state approval of NYDFS issuing it out of Paxos Trust Company and NYDFS Trust Company, okay? So, but why is New York comfortable? Why are Wyoming, why is Wyoming comfortable? And why is a state like Nevada um, having challenges? Because New York and Wyoming put legal and regulatory guardrails in place. So now they actually have, like why is Custodia not launched on Bitcoin Custody even though we filed our 60-day notice in April? I've talked about that before because we have to wait to go through a regulatory exam before we can turn it on. Okay. That, that wasn't a requirement of the trust companies in Nevada. There were no no rules in place. And so this, this whole idea that, that the crypto industry can go to states that are revenue hungry and, you know, get a, a trust company charter for $500,000 in capital, that is that is just crazy. And if, if the state has no guardrails for this new this new regime, then the chances that something bad might happen. Okay. And, it, and when I say guardrails, one of the most important things very few people realize is that the supervisors have to have an exam manual. That's the roadmap for the supervisors of the financial institution to go in and examine it and make sure that it's lawful and that it's complying with all the rules and regulations that apply to it. Wyoming supervisory exam manual is 752 pages. Okay. Wyoming took the time. And by the way, New York did, did similar things because by the way, some of the same people uh, who who who've worked on it on the regulatory side. Okay, so they're going in eyes wide open. Here's how it's going to be done right. So I, I love the fact that you're seeing some states push back against the federal government. One of my tentacles inside the Fed told told me that the Fed tried to uh, tried to block. Uh, They tried to discourage the PayPal stablecoin from being issued. It didn't have the authority to do it. Okay, and New York said, just go. And so PayPal just went. So, um, you know, there's some pushback against this overreach from from federal regulators. If you're not going to create the open pathway, then the states are going to do it and they're going to do it lawfully and knock on wood, they're going to do it right. But to your point, there are some states that didn't take the time to put a legal and regulatory regime in place. That took years. Of course it was Nevada.
1: Of course it's the casino, the casino state.
0: (laughs) Oh, I I never made that connection. I feel, I feel for, I really feel for them um, because, and, and by the way, this is part of the reason why I think they ended up in voluntary chapter 11, because I looked at the, at the statute in, um, in Nevada for receivership of a trust company and there's virtually no law. So the whole thing, basically when there's no law, there's no statute and there's no case law precedent it means every little thing is going to get fought over in court and it's going to take years to go through court. So putting it in chapter 11 speeds up the process, but it's actually worse. Chapter 11 is pretty much always. I just went through it with Voyager, as you know. Of course. I mean,
1: you know, we we could have gotten 75% of our assets the first day and we end up with 36%, which is actually 24% of their value because the assets went up only because lawyers got paid. Only because lawyers got paid. Well, but that's the
0: thing. But this is is what happened. Chapter 11, the primary goal of Chapter 11 is to bring assets into the estate. The primary goal of a state receivership process is to protect the customers. Huge difference. But the problem in Nevada is that they didn't have a true state receivership process that says, here's what the receiver does in order to like what are the clawbacks what are the preferences the kinds of things that come up in chapter 11 they didn't have that in place wyoming put that in place for the speedy banks new york has that in place for its trust companies there's a very interesting question and and i just got asked by a big law firm to to uh, he's going to put together a symposium on the bankruptcy of trust companies what does it mean? Because in crypto, a lot of the companies that are custodians are trust companies because the banks haven't, the bank regulators have been blocking, right? The FDIC won't insure the Fed, as we experienced, won't, won't become, and we experienced both, F, both the FDIC and the Fed turning us down. Okay. So we're a state chartered bank, but a bank is a bank, right? The, the banks have to comply with, a, with, with a certain number of rules and they have special treatment in federal bankruptcy. Namely, they cannot Cannot be a debtor in federal bankruptcy court. In other words, cannot be dragged voluntarily or, into, or involuntarily into Chapter Eleven. They stay in state receivership. Okay. So, but what's interesting is that New York has special um, receivership guidelines that Nevada doesn't have for its trust companies. And I just had this debate yesterday with the head of a financial institutions group at a big law firm, and he said, "Let's do a conference on this. What if a New York a New York DFS trust company failed?" Does that state receivership regime hold, or because federal law preempts, can they be involuntarily removed into federal court, and then you're in Chapter 11? And I think the answer is probably yes, they can be. It's never been tested, okay? But then once you get into Chapter 11, what happens? It's exactly what you just said. You get you basically get strong armed. You take you you want your money now? Here's how much of a discount you're taking. And in the case of um, of the uh, of um, Celsius, the custody customers, the judge said those custody assets belong to the customers. So he came out with the right decision. Those assets belong to the customers. But because of the possibility of preferences, he said they couldn't have their assets. And so the creditors committee got together and agreed to take a 27 and a half percent haircut just so they could get their money out now. That's, That's what happens insane. when you go in Chapter Eleven, right? And so this is like I think that one one of the next big things in crypto is going to be people are going to be doing counterparty credit risk analysis on their counterparties, and those of us who've been so. super careful and who, have, <laughs> and who have and who have really done the work and have been you know slower to to get launched, but because we we're we're, a, a, we're complying with a far higher regulatory standard and we're examined and we have. Uh, you know, basically bank level is in, in the Wyoming Speedy Bank's case, but we have to have bank level programs. And in Custodian's case, we went even further. We put in a re- what's called a regional bank style risk management program, something we told the Fed we would do based on feedback. And we did it even though we didn't have to. Um, Regional banks are 50 billion and and above. And we had that in place before we took our first deposit. Okay, so, you know, this kind of stuff is ultimately really going to matter to people, I think, um, and especially to fiduciaries. And this is where there's going to be a separation, I think, of the. Of those that are, that are, that are, that have regulatory theater and those that truly adhere to customer friendly regulations. And there's going to be a separation coming in the next bull cycle for that. And I'm really psyched for custodia that we always knew we were not going to be building for the next bull market, but we're ready. We're here and ready to scale and launched. Uh, not yet with Bitcoin custody is coming soon. Um, but we're in 25 states now for our US dollar services and adding more every day.
1: It's interesting because what you just described with Prime Trust and just in general with the trust, once again, and custodians, once again, is that funnel to the quote unquote trusted parties that are the chosen few, right? So if we start to see crypto native custodians failing, doesn't that just mean we end up with Bank of New York, Mellon and and State yes. Street and the biggest custodians once again, right back in the uh, Wall Street system into their arms?
0: which is exactly what the bank regulators want. Right. That again we talked about the soft corruption of the favoring of incumbents that's the way the system has has evolved and it's a it's a problem because when something so innovative and disruptive like bitcoin comes along they look at it and say how does this fit within our bank examination manual? The answer is it doesn't. Um, And you need something new. And it's so interesting because uh, we have a Fed advisor, a Fed lifer who's been advising us. She and I have done some... Um, joint op eds together. Her name is Katie Cox. And she looked at that novel supervision examination program, no- novel activity supervision program uh, that the Fed announced a couple of weeks ago. And she said, All right, something's up because normally when the Fed announces something like that, they've been working on it for six months. You get, you know, board contacts listed in the announcements so that if anybody has within the Fed system has any questions, they know who to call. Normally, it's already updated in the exam manual. Um, that you know how the how these novel activities are supposed to be examined, and um, and it wasn't. So that tells you they're still you know pretty far behind the curve, uh, but at least they're now acknowledging that they need to 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 bring those things up to speed. And again, the Wyoming supervisory exam manual, of which NYDFS people ha- helped work on it when they were at Promontory, a big consulting firm, that's out there. It's public source information, and so I wouldn't be shocked to see. A lot of the Wyoming approach adopted by federal bank regulators when they actually do put it in the exam manual, but um, but but you know, needless to say, this is still a very evolving industry, and um, I just it's going to be so much fun in the next you know eighteen months because we're going to get these big court decisions and uh, a Bitcoin having and a presidential election that's going to change oh. the political dynamic in Washington. It's just going that, to be, grab the popcorn. Line,
1: now that you line <laughs> it all up in order, it is just going to absolutely be insane. As you've said, is there still a problem for exchanges and companies, even individuals in the United States, to find banking relationships that yes. it seems like it's gone away because nobody's talking about it? But like I said at the beginning, I, I know that it hasn't. I mean, Binance US, we can we don't need to unpack Binance, but obviously they lost effectively all of their banking relationships. And now it was just announced that they're having to go to MoonPay for people to be able to even, you know, withdraw funds that are on. It seems like as a customer of Coinbase, I saw after all of this happened every week, it would be like, change your wire instructions. And it was going to less familiar bank, to less familiar bank, to less familiar bank. So, I mean, after Signature, and so after these banks Collapse. I mean, is there anything left for us? Are people still gambling on working with exchanges? I mean, what's the situation?
0: Well, there no, there are. And it's a good question. I've always said Ryan Selkis at Massari has pointed out that there's a single point of failure exposure in this industry, which is the concentration of US dollar on and off ramps. And he's been talking about that for years. And he was talking about it in the context of Silvergate and signature. So while everybody's so focused on the SEC, I like Ryan. Have been saying, "Hey, our real risk is not." You told me, me that SEC. a year and a half ago,
1: in person <laughs> in Miami, before any of this was even an inkling. You said, "Forget the SEC, forget the CFTC. Yeah. Look at the FDA, the FDIC, and the banking relationship."
0: It's the banks, exactly right. And you know, so the, so a lot of, of industry companies did hit the wall again with this coordinated crackdown, but the banks themselves. I you know I wish some of the stuff that that I've been working on behind the scenes over the last couple of years would come out publicly. Some of it some of it has. I started talking about bank run risk at the banks that were holding stablecoin reserves in 2020, um, and you know in the end that's not exactly what took Silvergate and Signature down, but they both had pretty severe bank runs, not just from the crypto industry, but from other other um, um, tech forward um, depositors, right? And so uh I, I was pretty darn close on on warning that risk and um I'm hoping that, that it does all end up coming out someday just when and how much I was warning look you got bank run risk at, at these banks you cannot take demand deposits for an industry that moves at the speed of light and turn around and and invest those demand deposits if you're the bank in into term assets <laughs> so what has happened I, I'm aware of the crackdown that the federal regulators have have taken, there's a there's a lot of unwritten rules behind the scenes. This is always how it happens in the bank regulatory world. Um, so I pretty much know what's going on. It's not it's not literally zero. In some cases, the banks decided it wasn't worth it, and they've completely pulled out. But um, there are still some banks serving the industry, uh, and and um, they're willing to take the risk. And it's great. I've mentioned Custodia has multiple partners. I salute those partners. I'm grateful. They we we have been examined up and down so many times, sideways, uh, uh, you know, from every angle, especially because of what the Fed said publicly about us, which was very presidential. It, they, the Fed had never done anything like that. To a bank in public before, so all right, great. Here's the here's here's the threshold we have to we have to exceed, and we did, um, and we have multiple bank partners who've done all the due diligence. They know exactly what the Fed said about us and have done all the due diligence. And I'm so so grateful that uh, that we do have the partners that we have. So it does tell you that Operation Choke Point 2.0 is real, but it wasn't complete. Um, and part of the reason that it couldn't be complete. Is because it's not legal for bank regulators to say you cannot serve an entire industry, um, and uh, but yeah, it's crystal clear. I mean, some of the, again, I know some of the stuff that's happened. It may come out of just incredibly unethical things that have taken place um, from pressure that's been put on banks and uh, to 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 stop serving this industry. And some of the ones that that um, that decided it wasn't worth it threw in the towel. Others said, no, this is a lawful industry. There are good players in it. Let's figure out how to separate the wheat from the chaff and move forward. And just like I used to say for Silvergate and Signature, we should all be grateful that they took on that risk. There are a new group of banks, it's a small number, but a new group of banks that are doing that. And thank goodness, because they're going to keep the industry alive, but I hope not get captured by the criminals. My gosh, there were, I think, 13 in total banks that got... Hoodwinked by FTX and was clearing, were clearing wires that were meant for FTX into Alameda's account. Okay. That's fraud. And there were two GSIBs that were on that list. The FDIC said, I think, I think it was 13 banks. Well, if you then go looked at the FTX creditors list and figured out who those 13 banks were, it was pretty obvious. Which 13 banks they were, and and two of those were GSIBs. And so they got caught up in in the FTX fraud. Everybody in the banking industry is way more focused on all of these issues than they were before. And so the good players, I think, can break through. And um, the fraudsters, I pray, are going to have a far harder time. I fear that because there's so much of this activity that's been pushed offshore, that we're going to end up with even more fraud and even more, of course we already are, you know, but more whack-a-mole kinds of kinds of things, right. That, That where risk shows up in the banking system in places where the bank regulators didn't see it. If I were them, I would welcome parties who are at the table who are saying, all right, let's be totally transparent. Let's roll up sleeves and figure out how these two ecosystems are going to interact with each other because they're not going away. And it's we, we, what we should hope. What does success look like? Success looks like neither neither ecosystem hurts the other. Unfortunately, what has happened is that both the traditional banking system hurt the crypto ecosystem and the crypto ecosystem hurt the traditional banking system. And th- that's a regulatory failure. Um, But I unfortunately don't see the solution quite yet. The door's been cracked open, to use your analogy, but... I, it's, you know, it's, the solution's not there yet. You're not actually seeing, you know, the bank, federal bank regulators saying, all right, we made a mistake. Let's get to the table right. and start figuring out how to fix this.
1: Before we conclude, so then what's the future like for custodia? Where do you stand? Obviously you have some litigation. You've alluded that to before you're doing business, right? Yeah. It's a, you just are not, don't have the Fed Master account and can't do it the way that you want. So what what's yeah. the status and what's the future look like? And What could change that could actually get you potentially that account and open the doors?
0: Well, we definitely pivoted. We have a very interesting business without a Fedmaster account. We have an even more interesting business if and when we do get that Fedmaster account. And we also own the patent on tokenized bank deposits. We have not gone forward with that product yet, but uh, that product of course is not going away and, uh, and, and so um, stay tuned. Uh, right now we've got a really interesting business with US dollar services, money market services, and Bitcoin custody coming. Uh, to be clear, we are not operating in all states, so check Custodia's website and not all products are available in all states. But check uh, check our website for updates, and uh, we're off to the races. It's very exciting.
1: But moving forward, where can everybody follow you? And then, obviously, you just alluded to the website, so keep checking on the website. Where can everybody follow you? Your insights are incredible, and I see you're you're pounding the pavement here. Like you're you're really out here <laughs> speaking on our behalf, and I love it.
0: Yeah, thank you. Um, uh, Twitter, I don't even, I won't call it X. It's always going to be Twitter to me. Twitter to uh, me. At Kate, exactly. At Caitlin Long underscore um, LinkedIn. And then of course, for Custodia, CustodiaBank.com.
1: Perfect. Caitlin, we got to do this more often. It's been too long this time. You, I think yeah. we talked like five times in one month when the, the banks <laughs> were collapsing, but I don't want these issues to disappear. Right. Like I said, there's this this like sort of time-based preference where people just forget about something no matter how big it is, just because it's been a few months and think it's gone away. But it's it's, uh, unfortunate to know that it hasn't, but good to know that we're still talking about it.
0: Yeah. But you know what was fun about this episode, Scott, is I feel like we're starting to actually look ahead. And you're seeing it in some of the people who've been around a long time who've lived through crypto winters. We're coming out of it. And- it, you know, instead of talking about the near-term fires that have to be put out in this industry, of which there still are many, what are we talking about? We're talking about 18 months from now. And I love that.
1: Yeah, I love it too, because there was a while there where maybe they thought they were going to succeed and they clearly haven't. So I'll take the win yeah. and uh, look to the future. Thank you so much, Caitlin.
0: Thank you. Good to be back.
1: Let's go.